Sun's down into your eyes. It's too strange. Your face looks backwards. Do you know what's gonna happen? You done all this already? As me? I don't want to talk about time travel. We both know how this has to go down. So why don't you do what old men do and die? Why don't you just take your little gun out of between your legs and do it? Boy. Welcome to the second episode of Zero Hour Strikes, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event Zero Hour, Crisis in Time, every issue, every tie-in, every zero issue eventually. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And in this episode, we take a look at Detective Comics number 678 and Batman 511, both occurring just prior to the first issue of Zero Hour. And Bass, I think it's nice to see uh, Batman involved in a way that he wasn't in Invasion. Finally, we have some Batman and the whole Batman family. Yeah, Love our it. previous show. Yeah. Is, there was no Batman. No, the editor didn't want Batman involved. Well, they were busy killing off Jason Todd, so, you know. And what was happening in, at this point, 1994, in the, in the Batman comics, is that he basically just reclaimed the cowl from Azrael. Exactly. From Azbats. After pretty successfully recuperating from a broken back. Yeah, doing the Bruce Lee thing. So just the month before, zero month or mm-hmm. zero hour month, it was the finale of Night's End. It was Batman kicking out Asbats wow. from the mantle. So we're really, really you know, a new phase of Batman just in time for zero hours. So this is pretty well timed. Maybe they timed it on that. You know, maybe they, it's all timey-wimey, so maybe they timed it on that since, uh, you know, it could be maybe pushed or pulled. Well, or... at this point, Batman is such a big star, as opposed during Invasion as well, I guess. But yeah. in Invasion, he was such a big star, they didn't want him in alien invasion stories and polluting his tone. Here, he's such a big star, they might have said, well, okay, we'll wait until yeah. Batman is good and ready. Because, you know, otherwise, would this have happened exactly and, during and Asbats? And that's not what you want? That Really not. Really not. And this is uh, 1994, so we're at Batman... Which film there? Forever? Uh, Batman Forever? 94? I think. Around that. I don't know. Yeah, I think we're closer to forever than anything else. Batman was riding high. The animated series was on Mm -hmm. also. So Batman was the superhero. Yeah. We wanted Batman in this. And we wanted Batman in the other one as well. (laughs) But he he wasn't. I mean, to be fair, he he beat up on some kuns in Cuba. But Yeah, but um, and and if Batman was in the invasion, I mean, we all agree it would have been over in like two issues. And the third (laughs) issue would have been... Batman explaining how Batman just figured out yeah. everything and just It's like Batman it. gets involved and you see the entire fleet crashing. Exactly. exactly. So what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> At least the, the JLA Batman. Yeah. That would come later. Uh, <laughs> that would come even later than this. Yeah, really. The uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's look at these issues. Very short synopses, if you will. Detective Comics number 678 was by Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan, and Bob McLeod. It's called Yesterday's Gone. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's like a needle drop cue. <laughs> For me, you were the one, but that was yesterday. Yesterday's gone. Uh, Batman comes home to the Batcave. He walks up the stairs to the manor, and he finds his parents alive, discussing their son's death that very night with a police officer. He's in the past, and history's gone down differently after convincing, or at least confusing, Alfred by telling him a shared memory no one else would know about. He steals the family car and races off to exact justice from Joe Chill. After carving a path in the Gotham underworld, he finds Chill, who's a junkie who's been high in bed for two days at least. So it wasn't him. 
while Batman thinks about what this means, he's chased by the cops to the outskirts of the Wayne estate because he's a car thief. Yeah. <laughs> and by the time he gets there, uh, elated at the prospect of reuniting with his parents, he crosses back into his own time. They're dead and maybe they were never avenged after all. You know, what if it wasn't Joe Chill? And so Batman, does it change anything? And in the final analysis for him, no. No. no it does not. No. He is still the knight. Um, <laughs> He's still the knight. It doesn't matter if Joe Chill was brought to justice or not. Yeah. Because, I mean, at that point, he's Batman anyway. Yeah. And he he has brought Joe Chill to justice in the continuity. Yeah. And this is sort of... Actually, this is the thing that's going to stick. This is the big change we'll see in the Zero issues. But it's the big change they bring to Batman. You, you don't want to screw with the with the origin too much. Yeah. Unless you're a movie. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's open season on changing the identity of the killer. But the... Uh, uh, but in the comics, I mean, it's such a pure origin. This is the thing they kept. It's no longer Joe Chill. It's unknown. And maybe yeah. that makes Batman more driven. The mission is never over. The mission will never be over because he never will know who really killed his right. parents. And it could be the Joker, like five years prior in the movie. Uh-huh. It could be somebody else. It could be, you know. It, I, I think any change to that. I mean, Joe Chill's fine because he's just. He's just a, yeah. A, just a regular crook. He could be like the faceless horde of. Criminals in Gotham, yeah. but anytime you change that, it pollutes the origin. I think it yeah. makes it, it makes it so that there is an end to the the quest, and at some point he just decides, "Well, I'm a superhero, I guess I continue." Yeah. Uh, but the, the pure pure is that it can never be over because I can never be sure that I caught the guy. So I'm gonna keep going yeah. in case the guy, even the guy, the guy's yeah. already in jail. I don't know it. So I keep going to make sure the guy, so every criminal is, is branded. Yeah. So that's when you change it to, oh, it's the Joker. Like, yeah. So then once he beats the Joker, well, I guess the mission's over. The revenge has been had. Exactly. It's, or, it's a lot better if... Or in the Joker movie. Have you seen the Joker movie yet? Not yet. Well, I won't tell you, but I mean, it, they changed the origin. They, they, they feel the need to show it. It's not a faceless criminal. It's something else. Okay. But that would change his mission or his outlook entirely. To me, that doesn't make sense. Or in the Gotham show, it's a faceless, but it's got to be a big conspiracy because it's a TV show. And exactly. We thrive on dumb conspiracies. Then then Batman's against conspiracies. He's against... I mean, it, start, it stops making sense because it's not as pure. Yeah. So we revisit the origin here and uh, they change it. They change it. Some things are going to stick like that Joe Chill thing. But, yeah. uh, of course, they're not going to stick the... Uh, what did you think of the, the what if... Bruce Wayne was the one who died that night. Well, it brought me back to Flashpoint, yeah. <laughs> one of your favorite series. Uh, <laughs> but it brought me back to that. And, you know, in Flashpoint, there's this one thing where... And, and that part is great. Not everything's great. But that okay. little part is is wonderful how... Uh, spoiler alert! If uh, if you haven't read Flashpoint, it's not it's not important. Uh, you know, Thomas Wayne becomes Batman, but mm-hmm. a, a vengeful, mean, gun-toting Batman, and his mom Martha becomes the Joker because she goes crazy. That part I loved. That's the one thing I loved from Flashpoint. Uh, the rest, well, I think, you can go dark with Batman. Like, dude, like, Flashpoint was like yeah. a dark timeline where there was never a Superman, basically. Yeah. So you can do dark with. Batman is just when the entire world is dark and 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 I mean in Flashpoint Barry was still this beacon of hope maybe right you know so uh, let's be honest you know but, but this it, is like we're looking at the yeah I was I was the wait- Flashpoint <laughs> I was waiting for a little red streak to go by <laughs> and to see actually you know Flash they couldn't know or, they couldn't know at the time no they couldn't but I mean if you re-release it <laughs> I'd put a little face in there 
little, just a little blur. A little just a little blur. blur. Just a little blur. Just to make it all tie in. <laughs> yeah, but but it, it did. Yeah, it's like the bat. It's like Batman visits. Yeah, the Flashpoint. Yeah, uh, universe. The the thing with changing just that little part of the origin, the just the shooter part of the origin, kind of gives leeway, I guess, or or it opens up doors to other possibilities, which is kind of fun, but yet doesn't really change anything. This time, it just opens it up to everybody and nobody did it. So yeah. so Batman just stays the night. He's he doesn't know, doesn't need to know, because every criminal is going to be caught. Yeah. Right. So, but I like so, that ending. I yeah. like it where it's like it's open ended. It actually doesn't. It doesn't really matter. So I don't know what this is compared to the other comic because mm-hmm. in this he asks, "Is this another temporal anomaly?" But when you look at the next one, we're going to look at. There's no place where it, he, there he's super surprised as a temporal anomaly. Yeah, and he doesn't believe it. So this must it must take place before. But there is actually no place where he can have this other adventure. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no moment where it's, he can go and do this one. Exactly. Well, yeah. Time is out of whack. Time Batman is, out of whack. is having parallel adventures. You know what? This kind of feels like if we were Mister or Doctor Manhattan, where we can see multiple timelines all at once, mm. and every parallel timeline all at once, because uh, this has like no space. There's no point in time where, well, it has one, but. It's multiple things all at yeah. once. Well, it's unmoored from from the timeline. So you've got he's in a parallel past, but it's also his own past. Yeah. How can he be there? How can he be there? So he's crossed over into a parallel timeline. Yeah. And yet he has the doubt that it is also his true past, except it was changed. But the the Joe Chill thing is still real. Yeah. And it, it is the past. There's a rookie cop who's obviously a Harvey Bullock. Yeah. There are just like tributes to the past because the car he steals from his home is a 1935 car which looks a lot like the golden age Batmobile absolutely Um, the the movie in this case is um, Tyrone Power in The Mark of Zorro which is one of my favorite Zorro movies actually I found it rather fatiguing uh, so that's always changing. Which, yeah. which exactly? Which Zorro movie? Yeah, that's why they can't stop doing Zorro movies. We should be. Uh, we should. <laughs> we need be, another Zorro. We movie. need another one. Wait, like Batman soon. probably saw. Would you care to try something more uh, robust? I guess Antonio Banderas, I, the Mask of Zorro. Is that the one that this he is, would have seen when as a kid? For this timeline, yes. For the per- yeah, right now. Anthony Hopkins and uh, yeah, Antonio yeah. Banderas yeah. and um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. Okay, so that's the one he saw as a kid. Yeah, he has to. <laughs> it has to be that one uh, for you know for match his age. And I like how he's driving through the streets. He's being chased by cops, and he's got to make choices. Like he's being chased, and he's got to make choices based on the original layout of Gotham, not the present yeah. layout of Gotham. You know, it's like oh, I can't take that interchange or that that you know that yeah. that bridge or what because it doesn't exist yet so he's got to be compensating for all of that stuff and of course he's batman so he can do it and gotham is seems to be a real cesspool because it's before his crusade i love how he's just taking down thugs all the time it's i mean it's, it's a like massacre. a montage of just <laughs> i'm looking for for joe chill yeah and you know joe chill's nowhere because he's in an apartment yes high. you know but, uh, so so he has to go through everyone like a meat grinder uh, i like the line tonight i avenge myself yeah yeah that's that's a big <laughs> that's a big but yeah am i the only one did, did you think when it was revealed that joe chill was a junkie my first thought was that oh in this timeline he killed a kid instead of the two parents and he just can't take it so he's taking heroin to to escape his own guilt 
And so he's auto-punished himself. Yeah. But then it's re- the woman in the apartment says uh, he's been here for like two days. She might be covering for him. I, but uh, did, did you, did yeah, you have the did, same thought? It did cross my mind. But I, I don't think, in my opinion, he wasn't, you know, full of guilt. He's just, you know, he's just this junkie trying to do a job to get some heroin and or money to buy to get high. Mm. And he doesn't really care. So he's not doing the job properly. He just shoots somebody. And, you know, probably took half the money because he just shot a kid and didn't shoot Thomas Wayne. And now he's high. So that's that's where I was going. But there's uh, a chance that's that's what's happening. But it, yeah, but it kind of takes a bit of responsibility off him because, you know, he's he's an addict. He, he, oh, why he did it in yeah, the first place? In my, in if my, he did it. Yeah, in, in my thing, he's like this addict that's just, he mm. needs it so bad that he'll do anything. Well, I think it's just symptomatic of, I mean, there's crime. Crime is not necessarily motivated by evil. And in Batman's world, that's especially true, I think, because most of his villains are madmen. Yeah. So it's mental health is the, is the issue there. And if if Joe Chill was a junkie, then it, that is a mental health issue as well, yeah, addiction. In attic, yeah. yeah, so it's like the poverty in the city is creating th- these situations that are pushing people towards crime and towards... I mean, Psychotic episodes. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's... Pushing people towards that, so yeah. Gotham or the whatever the system is pushing all these people into crime, which doesn't necessarily make them evil, although some obviously yeah. are. And so, what is the evil? Who's yeah. at the top of this food chain? Oh, promoting the evil. I mean, it's the same thing as in our world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's it's basically Gotham is uh, just a, a metaphor for humans. <laughs> for for humans. Yeah. For, I mean, Western society. <laughs> exactly. It's not people aren't necessarily evil. They're just doing evil things because they're scared, or they they need something, or they're they're addicted, or they don't see any other way to get somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of and it just got sad very quickly for this comic. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the cover is like the Waynes looking at Batman's dead body as if he were shot. Yeah. Today in. Crime Alley, which is it's, it's a symbolic representation of the issue. But um, I mean, Bruce is a billionaire. Just throw money at the problem, Bruce. Just don't <laughs> Batman. Just throw money. <laughs> well, because of corruption, it doesn't help. Yeah. What did you think of the art in this issue? I, I quite like it. Yeah, me too. Actually, it's 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 clear. It's very darkish, noir-ish. I really like that, but not too much. It's not too stylized. It's just it's still very classic 1994 comics, you know. Yeah, not like an image extreme or anything. No, no, no. It's got like little bats in the margin. I, I like yeah. these little touches where, yeah. you know, fill up the space. I, I uh, actually really enjoyed this comic. Yeah, billiard balls flying at the yeah at the, the reader. The night run through the woods is very atmospheric. Yeah, you know? very much. And there's all this montage of him kicking ass. Oh, and that's beautiful. <laughs> that was very, uh, it, it felt like a movie at some times and it's, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's well colored. It's well, mm-hmm. uh, it's well drawn. And Chuck Dixon really gives has a good voice uh, mm-hmm. for Batman. And I like the, all the the stuff where he's reflecting. You know, you, you can use captions too much sometimes, like the first person narration, which has become sort of a cliche in comics. Yeah. Uh, beyond this point, after Frank Miller, basically. In, in this case, it's not overused, and the reflections he's having, there is turmoil because he's confronted with his own origins, Yeah, and how it might have gone, and am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, the, what is my idea of revisiting the past? I discover new things about myself. So it's really well done, and still Batman is on message. Yeah. I'm on message. <laughs> I'm the Batman. It doesn't matter if it's not Joe Chill. I'm not wearing hockey pants. I just had to say it. I just had to say it. <laughs> 
All right, well, let's look at the uh, the other one. Okay. The other comic, which is um, Batman number 511. Mm-hmm. How do we do... What do we do with Zero Hour, right? What do we do yeah. with these temporal anomalies? In the case of Detective, they went with a what-if. Character visits a what-if. Uh, this is also the case in Batman number 511. By It's by Doug Mensch, Mike Manley, and Joseph Rubenstein. It's called The Night Before Zero. Uh, in this one, the Joker is on the run from Bad Girl... <laughs> well, he thinks it's Batman, but... Yeah, yeah it's Batgirl. Believe it. Uh, even if Batman and Robin have trouble believing it. Batman's even more mystified to find the GCPD shooting at him. Talking with this slightly younger, totally healthy Batgirl, he discovers that he's somehow crossed into a history where Commissioner Gordon took the Joker's bullet in The Killing Joke. And he's dead. Upon which, Babs joined Batman's team as Batgirl. And furthermore, they're lovers. Except Oracle exists... Two. I mean, time is out of whack. Uh, and the commish right now is Harvey Dent, who evidently never became Two-Face. As Batman tries to figure out what's happening to, to time, the Joker digs up Gordon's corpse and brings it to Dent for an encore. Batman intervenes and saves Dent and then unmasks the Joker's henchman. And it's Two-Face. Then Gordon is alive again and the villains have vanished. Meanwhile, Batgirl visits Oracle. We don't actually see the meeting, but Batgirl visits Oracle before disappearing into the night herself. So Batman's in over his head at this point, so he heads for Metropolis to get help. And we'll see how he meets up with Superman in later issues. That's Batman 511. This one was crazy. This one was crazy. It felt like a, a writer's meeting where we just had a brainstorm and everything in the brainstorm got into the comic. <laughs> it just feels like that. You know, bad girl's there. Where's Oracle? Oracle's there, too. All right. You know. It's got the Joker. It's got the Joker, but uh, the commissioner's uh, Two-Face. Yeah. And we have the new Robin, which is Tim Drake. And he's younger, but there's this the older, young Robin who's there, but he doesn't do anything. Oh, yeah. We've got the Dick Grayson Robin Dick, in the shadows. Yeah. Watching the action, and and that this will uh, pay off in the Robin tie-in. Ho- hopefully, I am. Um, I <laughs> but you know, I, I, when I was reading this, I was like, what, "What? Why am I seeing? Why do we?" And he does nothing in this comic. No, it's just a, a setup for later. We're looking at two Batman comics today, but there's also Shadow the Bat. There's also yeah, Robin. There's also but, Catwoman. The, the Batman family of books will be hitting zero hour more than this. Yeah, but I'm not reading Robin right now, so I'm confused. Okay. So I'm I'm okay. looking at this and. All he says is, this is weird. And I'm like, what? what? Yes, it's weird. And why are you there? I have Babs to worry about. What's going on? And it, it, the Two-Face thing reveal was weird also. I was... Yeah, because uh, the Joker's really, really mean to this henchman. <laughs> and then it turns out the henchman is Two-Face, so you don't feel like... Was he Two-Face all along? Or did he became, become Two-Face there at that moment? I don't... Because time is in flux? Yeah. It's not quite clear. They do do a lot of jokes. I don't know how you feel about them, but there's like killing joke jokes. Yeah. Uh, because uh, is this some kind of a joke? So it's referring to killing yeah. joke as soon as we see bad girl, stuff like that. But also two-faced jokes because there's, uh, you know, uh, let's nail the deuce as it's to say I'll kill two commissioners, but nail the deuce. Uh, the, it's a sequel. Um, I'll blow off half of Dent's face. This is all... You're pointing to yeah. uh, Dent being two-faced in another reality. It felt like a writer room <sighs> brainstorm gone mad. That's it, all it. I, it all it feels. It's, it's just. So you're saying you didn't like it? I did not like it. You know, I I did like some pieces of it, and you know, it, it's still fun because it's all types of things going on. But 
was it really needed? What is it saying? What are we seeing to, to set up Zero Hour? I mean... Mm. Well, this is a what if. You know, let's take Killing Joke and say, what if mm-hmm. Joker had killed Gordon and kidnapped Barbara instead of the opposite? And how this affects the bad books later. So you got... But there's also a previous point, I guess, because there's also Two-Face not being Two-Face... I mean, there are many different discrepancies yeah. in this one. And we're also slightly in the past because he, he says bad girl is looks younger. So it's not like there was a what if and now we're living in that reality. We're also in the past, closer to the killing joke event. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is like, it, it's not a pure concept. No. You could do the what if or do the past thing because mm-hmm. it were, this is one of the the kinds of zero hour stories, which is just like we're, we'll see the, the, the younger Robin. It's the story where the old version of a hero shows up. Okay. Old version of Batgirl shows up. She's the one, like in the first book we looked at, Batman went to the past. In this, Batgirl comes to the present. Okay. Robin comes to the present. So we're going to see some of these stories whenever a character has like a longer history or there's another version uh, than we might see. Yeah. You want to bring the other, and it's the other person that's out of time. Okay. So in this case, they're doing that with Batgirl. But they're also saying it's a what if because this, this is a bad girl. And it, there's also that weird line. The way it's said, it suggests that bad girl, like Barbara Gordon, was not bad girl ever until the killing joke. And then she decided to become bad girl and hang with Batman. Uh, it could also be just like a kind of clumsy way to say what actually did happen, which was when killing joke happened, bad girl had just retired. So it could mean she re-became bad girl okay after killing joke but the way it's actually scripted it sounds like she was never in that reality she was never bad girl but they don't really explore that so there's a real confusion as to what we're doing here is it a character from the past coming back is it a what if story is it what is it well i think it's both that's the problem just choose one be one or the other but don't don't i mean it's not that you can't do that it's just that you have 24 pages it's too little time panels to explain everything thoroughly. So I, I, I would have said, you know, choose one or the other. Do a what if or do a, a back from the past or something like that. But don't do both. Because even the meeting between Bad Girl and Oracle isn't shown. So it's just said. So we don't. Yeah. Although one thing I did like, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it because it's not in the foreground, is the moment where Batman calls up Oracle about this. He wants advice on temporal anomalies and she knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> She's the smart one. Yeah, she's the smart one. I'm, she's the one I call for temporal anomalies. Hey, temporal anom- anomaly. Who you gonna call? Oracle. Yeah. Well, she's she's good with Google. So <laughs> she was Google. She does like she does like a by the way, congratulations on your recover your speedy recovery. I felt like this and I, maybe the art or whatever, but I felt like it was such a cold. I could feel the <laughs> fact that she never was able to recover from that injury, the same injury. Yeah. Or a similar injury. I guess she got a bullet in the spine. It's not the same thing as... Having your yeah, back broke. Bane, yeah. Bane just sort of slightly bending his spine. I mean, <laughs> Batman recovers from the broken back. You know, it's not... It's a broken back, not a broken spine, maybe. But that he did recover from that. The way she says it and the, the expression that the artist, that Mike Manley gives her, it feels like... Ugh. Yeah. It's like there is a resentment. Yeah. There is a... Uh, for the character. And, and this is all... I, I, don't, I don't like the the term tongue-in-cheek because it's not really a joke, but there, it's kind of self-conscious in a way because of all the jokes, the killing joke jokes, the two-faced jokes, the 
It's kind of self-conscious, and I think Oracle was kind of knowingly saying, hey, good job for you. Look at me. I don't know. It's like Zero Hours, like, playing with what-ifs, and then later on, we're going to get a reboot. And in the reboot, we're going to say, what if, and it's true. Yeah. We keep this part, we keep that part, and we, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to do yeah. it. I mean, it's a weird issue because it's also generates ambivalence because Killing Joke, while a successful graphic novel, I, I feel like the, the story's revisited too many times, and every time we read it, or every time you have to recap it, or every time somebody wants to redo it, or, mm-hmm. ugh, I feel like it's so bleak, that part of it. So, uh, the, the fact that here we're undoing, and again, I mean, we've talked about this before on Evidently Team Up, and we did like an yeah. Oracle Catwoman thing, uh, myself and Ashford Wright, and so... In that, we talked about that quite a lot, is that you you like Bad Girl, you like Barbara Gordon as Bad Girl, Oracle is the better fit, the better character, the better... Mm-hmm. You want to keep that, and yet you also want to tell Bad Girl stories. And I think Bad Girl stories are better if they're flashbacks, personally. Yeah. But here's like, let's undo Killing Joke, and I'm like, yeah, let's undo Killing Joke, and yet... You know, it's like, yeah. uh, I don't like how she is eventually forced to become Oracle, but I like Oracle, so it's like a necessary evil. Anyway, so this issue brings that, that up. It's like, yeah. well, do I like it better with or without? And obviously, nobody wants Commissioner Gordon to no to die. No, we love that mustache. <laughs> we just want to keep that big spruce mustache alive. So, in the final analysis, Detective Comics had the better... Oh yeah, zero hour time. Well, uh, it was it was cleaner. It was you know it was just a what if you know what if Bruce got shot and it was nicely told. The art was nice. Everything was nice about it, and the ending was you know great. This other one, the Batman five eleven. It's just it's just kind of it's not messy. It's just I wouldn't call it messy, but I would call it confused as far as time travel stories or time anomaly stories. This one tries to do too much or doesn't quite know what it wants to do. Uh, but at the end, we do. Batman realizes that it is too much. Yeah. And he heads for Metropolis to talk to Superman. And that's going to get us into Zero Hour proper. Although it will get us into actually a Superman issue. Ooh. Uh, where the world's finest duo will get to. Duo to in- again. Interact in a Zero Hour context. Do they hate each other at this point? Is it the, uh, no, 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 I don't think they hate each other at this point. They're not as friendly as they were in the Bronze Age. Okay. But, no, I, I think um, I think at this point, Batman already has the kryptonite ring. Okay. He's already the fail-safe in case Superman goes bonkers. I think they have, if not a friendship, a good working relationship. Oh, that's nice. I'll have to look that up to make sure. But both of them, it's like, oh, you got better from the back. Oh, you got better from the death. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. (laughs) That should have been Batman v Superman. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay, we'll take a short break, and when we return, your feedback on our inaugural episode. Yes. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400 Legends Mike Barr and Alan Davis Batman Year One Batman Year Two Max Allen Collins Ugh Um, the new Jason Todd Ugh Millennium? You're not doing this right, let me take over Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle 
Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? Letters lost in time. Letters lost in time. 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 Chris Franklin starts us off. Uh, he says the whole Captain Adam Hawk because we're talking. We were talking about uh, the three showcase yeah, yeah, yeah. issues that tied into first the prologue and then the thing with the uh, time thieves or call yeah. it what you want. <laughs> the, the time gang. Yeah, time gang. Uh, and there was this whole wave rider monarch trying to fix yeah. reality discussion. So Chris Franklin says the whole Captain Adam Hawk Monarch extant thing was a headache inducing nightmare, but I feel at least Jurgens, who drew the Armageddon 2001 bookends, after all, tried to make some lemonade out of those rotten lemons. I wonder what that would taste like. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I had honestly forgotten about the showcase stories even though I read them. I was fully engaged in the DCU at the time and the teaser ads really got me excited, especially the ever-approaching logo in the oncoming storm. Ooh. I think JSA fans could argue Mike Carlin was indeed the biggest villain of Zero Hour and perhaps their greatest foe of all time, but you guys will get to that soon enough. He's referring to the editor-in-chief yeah. or executive editor, whatever you call it, at DC at this time. Uh, he reportedly hated the idea of seniors being superheroes, and he canceled the Justice Society comic, uh, even though it was selling fairly well. Uh, Zero Hour is not a great story for the JSA, as we'll see. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Tom Panneris really wants to defend Team Titans because we did oh. talk about this little prologue. Why would you want to do that? Because uh, he's one of the only, it's only fans. Okay. Yeah. And he can give us more context on the whole thing with Monarch's appearance in the book okay. that we discussed but didn't we didn't know what was happening. Uh, he says the reveal of Monarch as a Team Titans leader came completely out of nowhere. It was not a reveal of him being the big bad of the series. It's actually he was manipulating things but he was their secret leader. Okay. He was their mockingbird, if we're going by a secret six. Okay. So he says, back in New Titans Annual Number 7, where the team debuted, which was the Armageddon 2001 thing, uh, we get a little bit of his backstory. He was a Titan, the, I mean the leader, the secret leader, was a Titan who had used his powers to shield himself from the agents of Lord Chaos, who was the villain of that piece, who was also Donna Troy's son who had taken over the world. Now... But this, the secret leader was found and put into a concentration camp. He now leads a rebellion in the camp and then becomes the leader of the resistance. In 2001, which was the setting for Armageddon, he sends dozens of Titan teams back to 1991 to kill Donna Troy before Lord Chaos can be born. He's John Connor. Okay. Right. The original idea for the identity of the Titans leader was supposed to be a future version of Danny Chase. Hmm. At least according to an interview uh, that... Tom read uh, with then-Titans editor John Peterson. And if he remembers correctly, he wasn't supposed to be a villain. That identity then switched to Monarch when the book was being cancelled and the editors, a DC editorial or whatever, decided that since Monarch was a former Teen Titan, Hawk, having him as a leader uh, would make sense. Fans, he says, both of us, 
<laughs> had been trying to guess the identity of the leader for months. And to see it was Monarch was completely out of left field for quite a few of us. I think that there was one letter writer who actually predicted it, but that's it. Monarch is just stealing everybody's thunder. You know, it's like, oh, it's supposed to be Captain Adam, but no, it's uh, Monarch is... Uh, I'm going to steal Hawk. I'm going to... Oh, no, it was supposed to be Danny Chase. No, no, it's Monarch. Okay. It keeps happening. So he also tells us that our bumbling time crooks actually made an appearance in Team Titans... 13 and 14, seven months before this issue. It's a one-and-done story that takes place in a mall. The teamers are there for some shopping and R&R and to talk to an antiques dealer about why she has had one of their communicators for the past several decades. She also happens to have the Time Commander's Hourglass. Hmm. And so they show up. Hijinks ensue. They get arrested. It's one of the first issues written by Jeff Jensen and Phil Jimenez with gorgeous art by Jimenez. And if I ever get the chance to meet either of them at a con, I'm getting it signed. Oh. We found it. We read it. Yeah, we did. It feels a lot like um, Injustice League kind of story because Clock King uh, is pretty funny in this. I think he's like... Again, I'm with some losers, and they're making jokes about Kronos's uh, outfit. And yeah, kind of reminiscent of Justice League International. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of humor, yeah, that exactly. kind of that old Giffen stuff. Just a little bit, you know, just a little taste. So it was, yeah, I liked it because I like that old JLA. Yeah, I mean, and the Team Titans are who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. It was fun to see the the whole you know clock gang, uh, yeah. time gang together. Yeah, and, I don't know what they're. Um... Uh, if it was seven seven months earlier. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's nice foreshadowing. Yeah, and so you all tie this in. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for pointing us in that right in that direction, Tom. Uh, I mean, we're fans of villainous stories. Yeah. Loser villains. Yeah. Uh, so this this was a fun issue to, to to read. Yeah, we have a kinship with these loser villains. So we'd you know. be loser villains. Yeah, we would. If we were villains, one hundred percent. We're loser heroes. Uh, Sean <laughs> here says, uh, "Great first episode, guys. The main zero hour series is a mess at times, so I'm looking forward to you either explaining it or celebrating its wackiness. The crossovers are so good, though. Honestly, it's a bit like Secret Wars two, though zero hour is infinitely better. Where the quality of the crossovers make it all worth it. Well, whatever you need to tell yourself about Secret Wars." <laughs> <laughs> Sean, to get through the day. Uh, <laughs> I'm not too sure. Uh, Michael Bailey says a Zero Hour is probably the most important crossover event in terms of my history as a comic book fan. This was the summer I went from being the guy that bought the Superman titles and occasionally something else that looked cool to being a guy that started following the DC Universe as a whole. And over the course of the decade, buying more and more titles. So it's hard to be objective, though I do recognize uh, where things weren't as good as they could be. Despite buying Zero Hour at the time uh, it came out, I did not read that Showcase 94 issues when they were first published. It wasn't until buying the trade paperback of Zero Hour later in the year that I got to see the prologue. I'm still not entirely sure I missed something. But then again, the article in Wizard about Zero Hour set everything up so nicely, so I didn't feel lost when the event started. I love Wave Rider and the Linear Men, so these stories were good value. Let me open a book here. Diablo Frank. Oh, Will. Through his lengthy comment, <laughs> give us a feel for what the comics landscape was in the summer of 1994. See, I need that because uh, yeah, I think I, that's I, a valuable yeah. insight. 
He says, finally, Zero Hour was a key event for me as a comics fan. I dipped in and out of DC titles over the years, but never committed to them broadly or long-term. As I mentioned repeatedly during the run of First Strike, by 1989, I was all but absent from DC reading. I'd pick up a single issue here and there, but I wasn't following anything at DC regularly. 1990 remained fairly barren for DC purchases, but Titans Hunt and Breakdowns did draw me back into Justice League International and New Titans in 1991. More routine access to the direct market and increased purchasing power meant by 1992 I was following the entire Titans line and the Sandman, but in 1993 my interest in both was on the wane. Exactly a year before Zero Hour, Reign of the Superman and Nightfall were winding down without securing my continued interest for afterward. I was picking up the Bloodlines annuals and a few odds and sods that had hooked me, but DC was still just another of the many publishers I was sampling. I glanced over books released the month before Zero Hour at Mike's Amazing World of Comics. I did the same. I was in the peak period of buying monthly comics, even as the industry was experiencing its final summer of post-bust delusions of recovery. The chaos effect was my last bit at getting into Valiant as a line, or even as individual titles, since Shadow Man was entering its last year of production. At Malibu, I was picking up the Rafferty Ultraverse crossover issues and supporting the Bravura line in its last gasps. Defiant, first, Comico, Innovation, and Continuity were already gone. I was done with Image and Dark Horse Comics' not-so-greatest world, which is like a... Their, their, their attempt at a superhero world. The sole Marvel title I was still supporting was The Incredible Hulk. For most of my time reading to that point, the X-Men titles had been my home, with everything else being an extra. Sure, I strayed for long periods looking at you, Australian Outback, but I always had the X as my true north. A year after X-Genesis, with Chris Claremont and the soul of the books departing, so too was the certainty of my direction. At the height of the boom, I was spending upwards of $40 a week on the one joy I had in my life at that time, two diminishing returns. For every hate, the Peter Bag comic, there were dozens of things I hated. Unlike many of my fellows in fandom, I've never quit comics, probably because I never cared about sports or cars, or and no girl seemed intent on finding me. Uh, as ever, it had been my fantasy escape for a dreary existence, but like an addict, the more I abused the shorter and lesser the high. While I wasn't over the moon with DC, I was buying more of their titles more often than any other publisher and found them the most satisfactory. Marvel focused on the characters and image on the artists, leaving DC with the poor, devalued writers and the favorite properties of a generation or two prior to my own. It was a big commitment, but since Zero Month promised an entire slate of entry-level experiences, I decided to sample one issue each of the entire mainstream DC line. I feel like I probably picked up Showcase 94 number 9, but the stories it contained were so divorced from my interests and now that I can't say for certain, and will not bother to reread them to determine for sure. However, the podcast discussion did pique my interest in the Monarch two-parter. I had bought Armageddon 2001 number 2 after having read several enjoyable annuals across the quasi-elseworlds, but got nothing from it. I knew who Captain Adam was, but had a, at best a vague awareness of Hawk and Dove. Archie Goodman was by all accounts a great guy, but not a first choice for superhero comics, especially to write an event. I'm not as enamored with Dan Jurgens as most DC fans, despite respecting his fundamentals in the um, same way as a Paul Ryan or an Alex Saviak. The only time I would have read these Monarch appearances would have been at a time when my knowledge of DC continuity was pedestrian, and I'm made curious 
how they would inform my revisitation of this material from a much stronger knowledge base. I was going to say we're almost there. We're not. I never <laughs> realized that Extant was supposed to be a combination entity of Hawk and Dove, though neither were impressive enough to form a major supervillain, especially a technology-based one. He's not convinced. No. <laughs> no. Given that Hank Hall's density was a talking point against Armageddon 2001's resolution, and that Jurgens had three years to come up with an explanation, I'm still finding it wanting. Speaking of density, as of this writing, I only just now realized that I've been confusing the definition of extant with adjunct for decades. It was nonsensical either way, but nothing underwhelms while simultaneously being a textbook example of Chromium Age dictionary abuse, like summing up a character's entire being by saying they exist. <laughs> it's somehow even worse that my long-held misassumption that he was the supplementary villain until the late miniseries reveal, with an essential X somewhere in his name, and also the real villain's name also has an X in it. Mm. As we'll see, you need that X. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the 90s. <laughs> I didn't mind the over-accessorized Doctor Doom dildo design of Monarch, <laughs> and while Black and Red is the laziest badass color scheme in all of comics, complete with full silhouette inks, it's a good look that evokes the Hawk history. In short, it's a shame that both designs and titles were wasted on Hank Hall. Having extant battle Bloodwind would be a colorist staycation wish. <laughs> One is like the detailless yeah. black, the other one's a detailless white. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> picking up on Tom Panarese's comment, and given the long gestation period of Zero Hour Strikes, I hate to break it to the guys and just plain break the guys. But Team Titans is a major oversight in approaching this project from the very onset. Probably the greatest lasting impact of Zero Hour after the Legion reboot was the erasure of Team Titans, a fulcrum of the Titans titles for three years prior. Thanks to the predictive nature of uh, the Armageddon 2001 annuals, the firm appearances of the Monarch future are the bookends and the entire two-year run of Team Titans along with their appearances in New Titans, especially Annuals number 7, n number 19 through 24 lead directly into Zero Hour and the wrapping of the series, but also marks the point when an already questionable book became nigh unreadable. Seriously, some of the worst comics I've ever experienced, to such an extent that I finally gave up reading Phil Jimenez's Wonder Woman run because its ticks were triggering traumatic flashbacks to his work with Jeff Jansen, in Team Titans. Maybe you can address all that material in the eventual Team Titans coverage, and maybe you'll survive the attempt, but then again, maybe not. I am become Wave Rider, cast backward through time from your future, warning you to begin addressing Team Titans early and progressively, or else dildo or doom. I meant doom. So I don't feel, especially since they get erased, I don't feel like I need to, like, let's read Team Titans entire, let's read, you know, let's yeah. read two years of Team Titans because it leads into Zero Hour. If I ever read two years of Team Titans, it's the right fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> oh, man. I, we actually met uh, Diablo Frank yes. this summer. Yes, we did. With his lovely uh, girlfriend. Yeah. And... Uh, no, we got a, like a great afternoon. Oh yeah, it was perfect. It was great. Yeah, came up to Moncton. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> now when you read Diablo's comments, I hear his voice. So okay, well nice. you could have heard his voice before because he is a podcaster. Yeah, but you know, I have. I, <laughs> yeah, I, but now you, you see his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, we we don't get to see the like the wrestling mask. 
yeah. that people see in pictures yeah. because he keeps his identity secret. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we're a lovely couple, and um, we were very, very fun. We went to a comic book store. He yeah. bought a comic that you had a story in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and he has uh, a piece of me, for better or worse. And <laughs> for worse. I want, I want to see like the the ranty uh, <laughs> critique. Of your work, you know. So I uh, and so so we walked around a bit and yeah. um, eventually uh, parted ways, and they went back into the states to go to conventions. Yeah, very happy to, to have them yeah. in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, they were great, and the that was really nice, very nice. And and Diablo paid for the for, for the, the breakfast for the breakfast. So <laughs> thanks a lot for that. Yeah, thank you. So for people who think, well, you know, based on these sorts of comments, and yeah. maybe like the podcasting personality, that some sort of angry. <laughs> no, not at all. He's muscle. a poet. He's a poet. Yeah. Well, we've always enjoyed his prose. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and you know, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to consider him a, a friend in the podcasting yeah. community and an inspiration for some of our shows as well. I, oh, I yeah. feel like Lonely Hearts was always kind of tonally based on Rolled Spine. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fern is basically a legal machine. <laughs> so that was the, the, yeah. kind of the idea. So I'm really happy to, to meet him this summer. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And he's listening because, you know, this is actually ser a series he picked up <laughs> in the day. <laughs> so we're going to get more of these sorts of comments. Yeah. Uh, but now we have well, the he, historical context. Yeah. And, and that's great because I, I love these historical contexts that are so full of images. That I mean, he's a great storyteller. <laughs> more from Diablo Frank. Yeah. Uh, in the future. Uh, let's keep on going here. Bradleyman says, as Zero Hour was being published, DC did an animated style set of Happy Meals toys. A Superman cartoon tie-in, basically. Therefore, there is a toy of the Zero Hour merged version of Hawkman done in the animation style of the 90s cartoon. Wow. Which I don't think appeared in the cartoon. Uh, so we'll see what we can dig up about that and talk about it when we hit the Hawkman uh, issues. So we're going to be digging on eBay for a while. <laughs> well, we just, I, don't, I just want the pictures. I don't, <laughs> I don't need the toy. Some quickies from uh, across the internet. Rafael Bizono, uh, who's he's astonished, Zero Hour was a crisis. Uh, we've got Gary from the Crisis on Earth Prime website, who got me a proper look at that Daily Planet promo. Okay, yeah. Uh, which indeed is a post-Zero Hour house ad. So we'll get to it in due time. Oh, nice. When we're post. Uh, I should say here that Michael Bailey also pointed me to some promotional material sent to comic book stores. Uh, and we'll discuss that later as well. We'll find Sweet. a place for it. Jonathan Schaefer-Hames lets us know he also hated what Zero Hour did to the JSA, but he loved the various tie-ins. Brian Rosen was counting down and is happy the show's finally started. Al Sedano wishes us good luck in advance for the Hawkman episode. The, the problem isn't the same for me and you. It's like, for me, it's untangling the mess of continuity that is Hawkman so that yeah. it can properly talk yeah. about it. For you, it's hating on Hawkman. Yeah, well, yeah. That's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah, and it's not like... We don't just have to read one issue. There's a lead up. You got to read like four or five issues. How did I get into this? <laughs> uh, John M. Wilson is excited about the podcast. Joe Tonello as well, especially considering so many of his heroes came from this or debuted around this time. Okay. Uh, Aaron Headmoss from the Headcast Network thought it was a great episode. And speaking of which, Rick Sharp asks, just what is the podcast covering Armageddon 2001 that we referenced? Well, it's the Headcast. So. Yeah bother uh, Aaron Head Hamas about this. <laughs> um, so there, that's it. Before we go, we have to mention that the Fire and Water podcast is now uh, on Patreon. We have a Patreon yeah. page. So if you like our content, please think about making a one-time or a monthly donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards and 
even change the course of the network's Ooh, operations. Change time forever. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you just get on the zero list. <laughs> get on the zero list. We'll, we'll, we'll make something of that. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Uh, and that's at patreon.com slash podcasts. A reminder, you can leave us comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow Fire and Water's Facebook page. Or on Twitter, the account is FW Podcasts. <laughs> hashtag Zero Hour Strikes. Hashtag yeah. Batman's. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Bruce Wayne's Dead. Bat, <laughs> hashtag yeah. Bad Girl's Back. <laughs> oh, that's, and, that's and a bad hash, pun. That feels like a bad pun. Hashtag Batman's Back is okay. <laughs> so. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes. The man and boy of steel!